Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you take them out and turn to the book of Galatians chapter 6. The book of Galatians chapter 6. We've been in the book of Galatians since either September or October. I forget which, and we are almost through with it now. I'm going to preach this morning from chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. And we have one week left. Next week we'll consider verses 11 through 18, which is Paul's own greeting that he gives to the church in Galatia, that he takes the pen in hand. His ordinary practice is to dictate these letters, and he has a scribe who writes them. But in next week's passage, he takes the pen. He says, see what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And so that will be his final conclusion. Uh, Beginning in April, we're going to start a new sermon series going through a selection from the book of Psalms, looking at different topics throughout the Psalms. So let me read for us. Galatians 6, verses 6 through 10. It's printed in the bulletin for you. You're welcome to follow along there. And let me ask, if you're able, will you join me in standing for the reading of God's word this morning? Galatians 6, starting in verse 6. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith pray one more time. Father, this is your word that you give to your church for our instruction. May we have the grace this afternoon to humble ourselves and to receive it gratefully and gladly, to store it up in our hearts and to practice it in our lives. By the power of your spirit, through the grace of your son, we ask. Amen. Please be seated. When I was working in the bank many years ago, I remember very distinctly one afternoon a man came into the bank and he came and he sat in my office. And I could tell, looking at his account, that this was a man who was not necessarily accustomed to dealing with money very well, and yet he had recently come into $500. And he came into my office to ask about investing that $500. And he had the idea in his mind, and he shared with me his plan, that he wanted to double his money in a matter of a couple months at most. So I I tried to to be gentle with him in my explanation that that's not really how investing works. It doesn't quite go that quickly, but I explained to him how the CDs work, certificates of deposit, they're nice safe investments, there's no risk of losing your principal investment that you made, and I told him if he invested now his $500, by the end of the year he could have $508. He wasn't very impressed with what I had to offer, and (laughs) And as he was storming out of my office, muttering some things to himself, he he was letting me know how unimpressed he was with my offer. But being a a banker and not a a bookie, I really didn't have an opportunity to double his money for him. He needed to find somewhere else to go. Good investing requires similar principles to what Paul teaches, that it requires to be diligent up front with the investment that we make. It requires a great deal of patience. Don't usually double your money overnight. It requires a a lengthy time of patience, diligently tending to the investment, taking care of it, making sure it is safe. In fact, it's much like 
sowing and reaping, which is the metaphor that Paul uses in this passage. He says in two verses here that if we sow, we will also reap. And the other side is what we reap is what we sow. And sowing, of course, is hard work. It takes an initial investment of seed and time and opportunity, and we do it. And then we have to tend to it over a long period of time with much patience. Watering it, fertilizing it, caring to it, looking for it, weeding it. But if we do that, if we are diligent in our investment, if we are patient, and if we stick with it in due time, we know that there will be a harvest. That it will grow and it will produce a fruit. Paul says that that principle, it's true not only in the worlds of finance and investing, it's true not only in agriculture and planting and sowing and reaping, but it's true in spiritual things. He says there's a principle that God has sown into the fabric of our world that is the principle of sowing and reaping, and that what we sow will lead to what we reap in due time. And in this passage, Paul gives us three fields, we could say, in which he encourages us to sow, three areas. He encourages us to invest in our character, our church, and our community. Our character, our church, and our community. And I want to expand on each of those and then try to give us some encouragement. The main theme of this passage is encouragement for weary sowers. Encouragement for weary sowers. But let's begin with the necessity of sowing into our character. This is verse 8. We're not necessarily going to go in order. We're going to take the verses a little out of order to try to do it topically. Look at verse 8. He says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So this is the first area in life in which Paul encourages us and even instructs us and says this is worth your time to be sowing in the field of your own character. Things like character and Christ-likeness and godliness and holiness are not just things that are going to happen in our lives overnight. We're not just going to wake up one day and recognize that, ah, we have become much more holy than we were in the past. These are things that take time. They take years of sowing in our character in order to reap later on in life. And he says there is a process to character development. There's a process that, that we sow, and we're either sowing, he says, either to the flesh or to the Spirit. He says if you're sowing to the flesh, then you can count on later in life reaping corruption. But if you're sowing to the Spirit, then later in life you can count on reaping, he says, eternal life. The parts of our character that we sow in are those things which will bloom and blossom and bear fruit later in life. I remember at, at the same bank, I always knew during those three years I worked at the bank that I was just collecting a wealth of sermon illustrations, and now it's coming back to... Now, I was sowing sermon illustrations, and now I'm reaping them. But I remember at that same bank, I had a coworker whose name was Greg. And to be honest, Greg was one of the more worldly people that I knew. But one day we were talking as we were getting to know one another, and I mentioned to him that I was hoping to go into the ministry and I wanted to be a pastor someday. And, and Greg, I think, might have felt a little guilty about himself when he heard that. He said, oh yeah, yeah, I want to be a pastor too, but first I want to win this money game. You see, he had this idea that, oh, that, that's a good thing to help people and to, to you know, be kind and to be in service for others. But, he, but first, what he really wanted, he wanted to be rich. He wanted to have lots of money. And so his plan was, at least what he said, was he wanted to win this money game first and then he would decide to do good things with his life. I don't know if that was true for him or if he was just saying that, but 
But unfortunately, some people approach the task of growing in Christ-likeness the same way. Yes, of course, we hold up the ideal that we want to be a good person. We want to be a generous person. We want to be a kind and a loving person, a serving person. We want to be a, a magnanimous person who, who is generous and who is giving. But we also say, you know, not yet. Later in life, that's really the type of person I want to be. But I'm not going to put the work in yet. St. Augustine once prayed a very famous prayer. He said, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. <laughs> he knew that was the good thing. He knew that was what the Lord desired for him, but he wasn't so sure that it was going to be a lot of fun in his youth. And, and so we do it that way, and yet what Paul teaches us is that that is not the way that character development works. He says it's like sowing and like reaping. You can't sow seeds of stinginess and selfishness and greed for all the years of your youth and expect that you're going to wake up one day and be a generous person. He says that's not the way it works. A farmer does not sow corn and expect to harvest wheat come autumn. And, and here's the truth that we learn. We're always sowing something in our life. We don't have the opportunity to say, I can sow seeds of character development or I cannot. Maybe I won't sow anything. The truth is we're always sowing. The question is, are we sowing to the flesh or are we sowing to the spirit? We are always doing something which is going to reap a, a harvest later in life. And so we're growing in one of two directions. We're growing in the flesh, and Paul says if we do that, we're going to wake up one day and find corruption in our lives. Or we're sowing to the spirit. We're, we're planting those seeds now, learning how, what it means to obey. We're, we're in the scriptures. We're spending time in prayer. We're actively humbling ourselves. We're we're cultivating our hearts so that we grow in the fruit of the Spirit. We're actively taking steps in that. We're doing one of the other. There is no middle ground. And so his question is this. Where are we sowing? Is it to the flesh or to the Spirit? Now, in one sense, this is really the perfect follow-up to chapter 5 where we were discussing the fruit of the Spirit. And, and one of the things we said over and over is that the fruit of the Spirit, the, the same agricultural metaphor we said, these fruit... They're the fruit of the Spirit. They're not just habits that we just roll up our sleeves and we get to work and we do them and we just have to produce them in our own character. They're the fruit of the Spirit. Those are things which grow in our lives as a result of the Spirit's work in our heart. The more He works in us, the more He's changing us, the more we're producing those fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But now He sort of gives us the other side. In case there's an imbalance, He's going to say also we have the responsibility to be sowing. Yes, the fruit is the fruit of the Spirit, but we are sowing seeds at all times. We are cultivating the soil of our hearts at all times. And, and the question is, we can sow to the flesh or we can sow to the Spirit. And so we can't have this sort of passive attitude where we just say, ah, oh, that's the fruit that the Spirit will produce. Therefore, I have no responsibility, so we just sit and wait and someday God will get busy and produce character in us. No, it's our responsibility as well to be sowing and to be cultivating, working so that in due time there will be a harvest according to the Spirit's work in us. And Paul adds here in verse 8, well, verse 7, excuse me, verse 7, he adds a very stern warning. It sounds stern when we just read it. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. In other words, this is a principle that God has just simply sown into the fabric of the world that he has created, that this is the way things work. You can't get around it. 
if we spurn the work of the Spirit in our lives, if we neglect the means of grace that He's given to us, if we're not casting ourselves on Christ in faith, then He says we'll reap what we sow. He says that's just the way the world works. God cannot be mocked in this. But you know what? The opposite is also true. The opposite is also true. If God cannot be mocked, and that's true, it's also true that God does not mock us. God does not mock us by throwing us into this sort of fatalistic universe and saying, here you go. Rather, he tells us and he instructs us in the way that we ought to go. And so he doesn't leave us, but he teaches us. If we are faithful to sow to the Spirit, then we will indeed reap the reward that he's promised to us of the reward of eternal life. So we're not in this uh, universe where we don't know what's going to happen, where we may sow one thing and reap something totally different and feel mocked by God. He says, no, you reap what you sow. If you're faithful, sowing to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. That's the promise of God, and he is faithful. So we just rely on what he's told us here, that we reap what we sow. Now, we need to have a quick theological aside here, because in talking about this and saying over and over that we reap what we sow, that sounds so mechanical. Does it sound like Paul is teaching that we're saved by our works? That if we just invest wisely, if we just sow these seeds and do these things and do good works, says you reap eternal life. Is he saying we're saved by works? No, he's not. Let's just agree that even if he wanted to teach that, Galatians would not be the book he would try to slip that into. This is the most explicit book where he says we are saved only by faith in the finished work of Christ. Maybe he wanted to try to slip that in somewhere, but he's not going to do it in Galatians, so that's not what he's teaching here. Rather, he's teaching this principle. He's talking to a group of Christians here. He's talking to this group of people who all profess faith, who all profess to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says to them that at the end, there will be a time when, when you can look at the works you have done in your life and they will be a testament to what is in your heart. They will be a sign that shows, is this a person who believes the gospel of Jesus Christ and therefore does works in keeping with repentance, or is this a person who never knew Christ at all? The works that are harvested, as it were, on that final day will be a testament to what was in your heart all along. And so, therefore, as those who, who believe in the gospel, as those who have been saved by faith, let us sow the works of the Spirit in our lives. So we sow in this first field, the field of our character. The second field that Paul instructs us to sow in and tells us to sow in is the field of the church. It's the field of the church. In verse 6, he gives us a very detailed instruction. He says, Those who are taught must share all good things with the one who teaches. Those who are taught must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, he could have just said it kind of quick and kind of simple and just got right down to the bottom line and said, you should pay your pastor. Right? That, that's what he's saying here. He says, those who are taught, those who receive, they should share good things with the one who teaches. But that's not the way he says it because he's actually saying something much deeper than that. That's true. He, he says that, in fact, there are many places in Paul's letters where he is not shy about saying that the laborer deserves his wages. You don't muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain. In Paul's own way, that means pay the pastor. But he's saying much, something much deeper than that as well. And so he's talking here about the same principle that he's talking about in the other verses, this principle of sowing and reaping. 
And, and we see that if we look at 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9.11. Again, this whole chapter is Paul making the case that as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he has the right to be paid for his services. He has the right to be paid, and yet he says in this chapter he's not going to take up that right. He's willing to not be paid, but he's defending it. And he says in 1 Corinthians 9.11, look at the way he says it. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Now, see, in this verse, he's talking from the pastor's perspective, and he says the pastor sows spiritual things into the congregation. And he says, now, is it too much to ask that he be able to reap material benefits from the congregation? If he sows spiritual things, he can reap material things from the congregation. He says that is a legitimate claim. Pastors should be able to do that. And, and he defends it, this whole chapter. He even goes to the Old Testament, which is our version of saying, even the Bible says so. And he spends some time on this. Now, as a side note, I'm, I'm very thankful that Paul defends this. I, I benefit from that. I'm also very thankful that here at New Life Burbank, I think our church has always had a very healthy perspective on this. I'm thankful that our church usually even errs on the side of generosity on this. I think it could be a pretty uncomfortable discussion to have if, if we didn't. But let's just say that we, we do good at this. And I know talking about money is never polite conversation in church, and it kind of makes us squirm a little bit. That's okay. If the Bible never makes you squirm, you're probably not reading it right. But, but what he's saying here, you see, he says that the pastor sows spiritual things and has the ability then to reap material benefits. In Galatians 6, 6, the verse we read, he's saying the opposite. He's saying the congregation sows material things into the church and has the expectation then of reaping spiritual benefits. They sow material things and they reap material benefits. He says this too is the legitimate application of this principle that you reap what you sow. But it's interesting the way Paul says it. It's interesting the way he says it, because he doesn't just go to the bottom line like we said. He doesn't just say, church is a place you come, and you pay your dues, and you get the goods. He says it in a much deeper way than that. Look at the word he uses. He says, the one who is taught must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now that word in the Greek is the word koinonia. And if you've done many word studies in Greek, you might be familiar with this word. It means fellowship. It's, it's the spiritual fellowship and sharing and a likeness that we all have in the church that we are one body. We are one community. We are one fellowship with one another. In other words, this thing that he's talking about here, this, this paying of the pastor, he says this is part of the great spiritual fellowship that the church enjoys where every member brings good things into it so that every member can benefit from that, that we all use our gifts in order to serve other members. He says one application of that then is that there is a minister who can sow spiritual good into the church, who can teach and who can pray, who can preach and who can pastor, and he does that. And, and for that, he has the legitimate right to reap material benefits so that he can go on doing it. So that his time is not all taken up by having to get a real job. <laughs> that actually pays money to support his family, to, to buy food and such. So it's part of the fellowship and the sharing that the church enjoys. Now he expands it in verse 10. He expands his, his exhortation to sow into the church. 
he expands it in verse 10 to a much broader exhortation where he says in verse 10, actually, let me start in 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So his exhortation here to the church, it's not just uh, be generous and share good things with the one who taught, but now he says, do good. Just sort of this broad, general exhortation, do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Especially those who are of the household of faith. And it comes right out of verse 9. He, see, he said, in due season we'll reap if we don't give up. In other words, this principle is right in the front of his mind that you reap what you sow. And he says, so then, if that is true, if that's the reality of the way God runs the world, let's, let's bank on that and do good to the church. Because if we do, if we continue sowing into the church, if we're using our gifts for the good of the church, if we're edifying the church with the spiritual goods that God has given us, if we're pouring all of who we are into the church, he says, you will reap if you don't give up. In other words, there's going to be benefits that the church accrues. Together, communally, there will be benefits that we enjoy by virtue of us doing good to the church. He doesn't tell us specifically what they are, but it doesn't take a lot of imagination to, to think that if we are investing in the church, all that we have, all that God has given us, he says, we will enjoy the glorious advancement of the church, the bright light of the witness of truth, the depth of godliness and faithfulness for growth and expansion for the beautification of Jesus' bride. Because you will reap these things if you're faithful to do good, especially here, especially to the household of faith. He's saying everywhere, but especially here. Put the best of your time, the best of your talents, the best of your treasures into doing good to God's household, the household of faith. So that's the second field. First, you ought to be sowing in the field of your character. Second, you ought to be sowing and investing in the field of the church. Third, we ought to be sowing and investing in the field of our community. I get this straight out of verse 10. We've just read it. He says, let us do good to everyone. To everyone. Now, he immediately limits that by saying, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So he has an agenda here that, that's beyond just good works in the community. He especially wants us to do good to the church, but not exclusively to the household of faith. He doesn't say do good exclusively. He says do good especially. So he also wants us now to be doing good, to be pouring into our community. Part of the command here is that as opportunity presents itself, he says, as we have opportunity, okay, so he's not trying to put us on the guilt treadmill here of, of never feeling like we do enough and always needing to do more and always wondering if we have fulfilled this. He says, as you have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Let us love, let us bless, let us serve our neighbor. We've got to jump on these opportunities. Why? Because in due season, if we do not give up, we will reap. That's why. That's why we ought to be doing it. Is, again, this is a field that, that many Christians sadly neglect to sow in at all. But Paul is saying the same principles at work here. The same principle comes down here that if we sow, we will also reap. Now, I think we need to notice the place of this verse in the book. Chapter 6. This is not chapter 1. He's not starting with this. He's not starting with the command to do good. He's already built up five chapters of glorious theology for us, saying 
We are saved by faith in Christ, that we have been crucified with him. We're free in Christ. God is faithful to all of his promises to Abraham. All of this good is ours. We are secure only by faith. And now, to say, therefore, do good. That this is not, this is not to gain God's favor. This is not a work that will please him and therefore gain his favor. This is because we already have his favor. Because we already know the love of God for us in Christ. Because we've experienced that, we've been changed by that. Therefore, this is now becoming our joy to serve in these fields, to sow into the community, to do good works in order that we might reap. And again, he doesn't tell us what we're going to reap if we sow good works to those who are outside the household of faith. Again, we're left to fill in some of the blanks, but we know God will be glorified. We'll reap the glory of God. The witness of the church will be strengthened so that those who are, are on the outside will not mock the church. They'll not scorn the church, but they'll now understand that this is a people called to serve, to humbly walk the path of discipleship in the way of Jesus. They'll have, we'll have a better witness to those outside, and, and Lord willing, souls will be saved. People will come to Christ by our good deeds in the community. Now, those are three exhortations. Paul says these are fields that are worth sowing in even more. He instructs us, he says, do it, sow in these fields. But the main theme of this passage is that this is encouragement. Encouragement for the weary. Are you growing weary? Or, or let me ask it this way. How weary have you grown? How weary are we? Which field are we growing weary of sowing in? Because this is diligent work that takes time and it takes energy. Ask any farmer. Sowing the seed, it's difficult, it's unglorious, it's unrecognized work, but it must be done. It must be done if the harvest will be sown come harvest time. What's it look like to grow weary? I think if we grow weary of sowing in our character, if we grow weary of that discipline, we grow weary of humbling ourselves and so we decide that just indulge a little bit in some pride. Maybe we grow weary of the self-discipline that it takes to be sowing in the field of our character. We grow weary of that, and so we just give in to just a little bit of self-indulgence. We grow weary of the discipline of prayer, and so we give in to just a little bit of self-reliance. That's what it looks like if you're growing weary. If you're doing those things, that means you're weary, and, and hear what Paul says, do not grow weary. In due season, we will reap we're faithful in our sowing. What's it look like if you grow weary of investing in church? I think it's not hard to picture. It's, it's when we pull back from fully committed participation and we just decide to become a spectator. It's when we, we become dissatisfied with something and, and we decide, like the Israelites in the desert, that we would rather moan and complain and grumble than fully engage and serve and fix. It's easy to become weary of investing in the church because we know that the church is filled with sinners like ourselves. It's filled with flawed, broken people, and so there's not ever going to be a perfect church before this side of heaven. And so here we are, and there, there's difficulties, and we get hurt, and we hurt others. And Paul says, let us not grow weary of that. Let's not grow weary of that, because in due season, we will reap. Or are you getting weary of serving the community? Are you getting weary of serving and doing good to all? Maybe you just want to be a consumer for a little while. 
and just enjoy the benefits that the world has to provide without putting our energy and our time into creating those benefits. To all of the weary ones, to all of the broken, Paul says, in due time, we will reap if we do not give up. Sowing in the springtime of your life requires faith. And to encourage us, to build up our faith, to to edify us, Paul says, look to the reward. In due season, you will reap if you don't grow up. If if you don't give up, (laughs) you should grow up. But he says, in due time, and and this word, due time, that's one word, that's, in the Greek, that is a different word than the ordinary word for time. He's not just saying at some point, he's saying at the appointed time. In due season, he's saying, God already knows what that time is. For us, we have no idea. It could be next week. It could be next year. It could be 20 years or 50 years. It could be heaven. We don't know, but God says there is an appointed time for the harvest. There is an appointed time to reap the rewards of all the hard work that you have sown in reliance and dependence on the Holy Spirit. God has a plan, and he says you will reap when? At God's appointed time. Look to that. Put your faith in that, O weary one. Your labor is in the Lord, in these fields, is never in vain. It's never in vain. This is the surest investment we know. This investment never fails. Think how beautiful in God's eyes is the value of personal holiness. Think how beautiful in God's eyes is the worth of his church, the bride of his son, Jesus Christ. Think how valuable in his eyes is the one lost soul returning back to him that he runs to with his arms wide open He says, these are the fields that God prioritizes and that God loves and that God says, your work in the Lord is never in vain. He says, you'll never regret time spent investing in these. These are the things that matter. Our character, our church, and our community. Let's not grow weary of sowing in these fields. Let's pray together to the Lord. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. May we trust in you with all our hearts, leaning not on our own understanding, but in all our ways, acknowledging you. And will you please, O Lord, direct our paths. For this God is our God forever and ever. You will be our guide even to the end. Father, we cast ourselves on you, looking to you for your instruction, your teaching, your leading, and your guidance. And Father, we bring these prayers to you, offering our hearts in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.